Hello and welcome to Sarah and Paul's Doodoo Social Work. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good thanks <laughs> Paul, how are you? Yeah, I'm all good, good. I had my great graduation yesterday, so that was all great. Yes, fantastic. Yeah. I've seen the photos, you looked very smart. Thank you. It's a new suit, a new tie. Let's splash out. Do you get to keep it? What, the tie and the suit? I paid for it. What about the gown? No, you don't get to keep oh. the gown. <laughs> I was expecting to turn up today and you were going to still be wearing <laughs> your gown. Sorry. I can go and put a dressing gown on if you want. Exactly, <laughs> you're all right. Today we're going to go through the independent review and we're going to look at the different chapters and we're just going to highlight the positives and negatives. Um, so we will look at what really spoke to us and what really didn't quite work for us. Is that about right? Yeah, I think so. And we and we know that we've got a lot to get through, so yeah. we're going to work really hard today at not talking too much, because um, I think that, yes. that's not... Yes. We can definitely do that. Yes. Um, so just to go in theme with our other um, podcast so far... Yes. You do do's this week, so you're going first. Okay, so my do do is quite simple. I have learnt to... Um, this sounds rubbish, but I've learnt to be myself. <laughs> no, I think um, because I've been kind of looking for different things to do, different jobs, still looking for jobs, still looking for jobs and all of that kind of stuff. Tune into the last podcast <laughs> yeah. to hear about Paul's employment situation. Um, things, opportunities have arisen and I think if you just stay true to yourself, things can happen for you. You just have to believe in yourself. Brilliant. I mean, yeah. the, my ph philosophical hippie approach is really rubbing off on you. <laughs> Um, so my do-do this week has actually been to stop thinking. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my process has it because I think too much. But... Well, exactly. Yeah. We think too much. And so I guess it's kind of similar to that mindfulness approach or the meditation approach. Yeah. But then I always think to meditate, you need to be in the right lying down etc but actually there's this I was reading this um a uh, kind of article about actually when you have when you to stop having a hundred tabs open in your brain right. because that inevitably leads to thinking feelings behavior and actually if you just kind of close those and just sit with and just don't allow too many thoughts yeah. um actually you can feel really relaxed so that's what I've been trying to do more of well done very good okay what's your boo-boo Poo-poo. <laughs> which one? Is, what, what is it this week? Um, so mine is just not to go up to famous people and <laughs> and and, um, and effectively stalk them. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I thought you were the famous person. Well, Paul, but no. you're not being stalked yet. Okay, I mean, we have to be careful about the use of stalk because we know stalking is a really serious issue. Absolutely. But tell me... So, um, you know the, the, the comedian... So we're, we're in a hope. Uh, what, Joe... Wicks? No. You, no. <laughs> Widdicombe? No. No, it's Josh. Oh, for God's sake. He's Joe who? Oh, my God, I love him. He lives in home. Yes, that's what I just said. Joe. Wil Joe Wilkinson. Joe Wilkinson, exactly. I love Joe Wilkinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really good. So um, I was running down the seafront doing my little runs and all that kind of stuff. I saw him. I managed. I, I stopped at the end and all of that kind of stuff. And then um, he stopped around the same time. And so I went up. So this is before my birthday. I went up to him and said... Hey, I hope you have a really happy birthday because he was born on the same day as me. He doesn't know that you you know that you've got the same birthdays. He just thinks you. Well, he doesn't know who I am. No, so he just thinks you've remembered his birthday. Weird. No, no, no. I told him because I said to him, I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. And by the way, it's the same birth. I've got the same birthday. Okay. And he said, "Well, that's." He said, "That's great." In a real traditional. <laughs> Joe Wilkinson and have a really, um, really, really happy birthday. And I was just left with the kind of okay, bye. And it was just a bit awkward. Really. I think that's fine. <laughs> it's okay to get a bit it's starstruck. A... I've seen him sat outside a beach hut along Hove, and I loitered for way too long trying to make eye contact. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my uh, boo boo, slightly more serious, yes. is the cost of living crisis. Oh, gosh. Okay. So very quickly. Mm. Um, just about how it's been framed in this really catchy phrase of it being the cost of li living crisis, yeah. uh, which then desensitises everyone to actually what's going on, which is a bit, of, is a bit I would say, more of a political agenda. Yeah. And actually people are finding it very difficult to just buy food at the moment. People that are in full-time employment are struggling to buy food, let alone families that are impoverished. And so I am, and this has been going on for some time, but yeah, that's it's really bothering me this week more. Okay, so going into this week's yes. topics then, Paul. Okay, good. 
So we're going to look at the review and we're going to look at the recommendations. Yep. Now, we know that there's a lot of recommendations, but we want to give a kind of synopsis to the listeners today. Yeah. Have you read the whole report? To be honest, Paul, I haven't read the whole report. Okay. It's over 200 pages long. Yeah, 278. And 278, yeah. exactly. Uh, it's a lot to get through. It is. And to digest. Yeah. And so I haven't read the whole of the report, but I have read the, 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 key, the key points, the key themes, the recommendations at the end. Yeah, and I think that's a bit of a problem, isn't it? That it's so long to get through it. Because I've read the whole thing, but it was, let me say, it was a bit of a slog. And there's lots of bumper that you have to kind of sift through in order to get to the, the real bits about what it's trying to say. The first section was just around the reset to children's social care. Mm-hmm. Looking at that, and that kind of gave it an overall view of what children's um, social care is. What I found really interesting is this whole idea of a reset. This whole idea of a, a revolution. Now that is really interesting compared to one of the key statements that it says and that sets up. So I'll just get you to read this bit. Okay, so you want me to read this bit here, Paul? Yeah. The time is now gone for half measures, quick fixes or grandstanding. Changing the easiest bits, papering over the crack or only making the right noises may in fact make matters worse. It will create the illusion of change but without the substance. It will dash hopes and fail another generation. So the the bit that, that really stands out to me is that we look at grandstanding. So it talks about actually we need to stop looking at grandstanding. Grandstanding would be a better word rather than grandstanding. What what would you think grandstanding is? What's... Don't know, I couldn't even bloody pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, exactly, I don't think it's that clear. And making, making the right noises, looking at how, I guess, different reviews have said the right things, but this review is saying we're not doing that, we're going to move away from that. So the next bit it says... That is why we have gone further than most reviews. Not just saying what needs to change, but also working through how and when change should be implemented. We have done this building on the hundreds of conversations and ideas people have shared with us so that the government can grab the button and move forward at pace. Thinking about the chain, recent changes in the government. What, very current ones? Exactly. Right. So thinking about the recent changes in the government, changes in the Department for Education, the Minister of Department for Education, the trouble is, to have that momentum, we need a strong and stable government. Mm. I know Theresa May talks about a strong, stable government, but that was some time ago. Yeah, we're still waiting for it to be strong and stable, right? (laughs) Exactly. At the moment, it's not particularly strong or particularly stable. Mm -hmm. This depends on a lot of the government being there to support it. And we've had just had Will Quince, who was very involved um, in terms of looking at and talking to different care experience people, different carers, different practitioners, different services... And he's gone now, although he's come back into the DfE. Mm. And the worry is that this churn, this, this churn of government, what impact will that have? So looking at moving forward at a pace, we have to make sure that, that things do move forward at a pace, but there is still that critical analysis, people that know the systems, to move it forward. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Looking at not grandstanding mm-hmm. and the effect of not actually doing that grandstanding, by saying that we need a massive reset in children's services, saying that we need a revolution. I worry that that's kind of grandstanding, actually. So the very thing that he said that we need to move away from is almost the very thing that has then been kind of created within this, within the recommendations. I mean, what struck me was, absolutely welcomed, we needed to have a review um, of of the care system for children, but actually there's so much to review in in this one report that then it then becomes massive. and, And as you said, there's all these kind of grandstandings around all the things that we're going to change what does that actually look like in practice for practitioners and for families because as we know when when organizations go through reorganization it's a period a a period of instability Mm -hmm. not only for for the the practitioners but for the families as well and and um these recommendations are suggesting there's a national overhaul about how we do things what does that really mean in the short term for families that's one of the things that I, I came away with. And social this. workers, because we know that although we are there to instigate positive change in terms of individual positive change and societal positive change, lots of social workers I know, just by the fact that the somewhere's moved in terms of where you can have your lunch, mm. it, it becomes really anxiety-provoking for them. So actually, for a lot of us, mm. even us that promote change, change is really, really difficult for us. Well, because we're humans, we're not robots. Exactly. Mm. Mm. So this is going to have a huge impact, just not only in terms of what we're doing 
and the amount of time and effort we put into it, but also the emotional impact in, t- in terms of us. And I think that's definitely, that's not been addressed within, it's just not been addressed within the review. No. Okay. One of the main recommendations is looking at family help. So reorganising family help, mm. including uh, replacing child in need mm-hmm. and targeted early help, placing them together mm-hmm. um, into kind of multidisciplinary teams. So it's like an integration service type thing where you have social workers as lead practitioners that come in and they are, lots of them are child uh, protection experts and that's um, backed up by funding, so two billion in the next five years, one billion in a year, Uh, every year after that is going to be ring fenced, hopefully this has to still go through government. Um, And these teams are going to be in community settings, so they're things like family hubs, Mm. what we may have called Sure Start. Well exactly, so that's... That that was one of the vulnerabilities that I pulled out of this, which I am all for early help. I think it's great. I think we do need to absolutely plough money into keeping families together at the early start. You know, it is about the distribution of funding. But what I also came away with was thinking about how we implement this, the focus on the early help is we, we've been around in social work long enough to know that we used to have that early help system, mm. e.g. Sure Start, and then that, that got changed because of such a kind of a big focus needed to be on the child protection system. We need to keep children safe and alive via the child protection system. Mm. So the funding and the focus came, it was kind of a, a reorganisation around actually it's not about the early help. Let's You know, there isn't enough funding for those community hubs and and now, you know, Josh McCullough is saying, oh, no, we, we do need those community hubs, which is actually something the social workers were saying at the time they were being brought up, being take, taken away. But what we also know is in practice, the actual dilemma then for social workers or social work teams is where do you focus your time? Because, yes, you've got families that need early help, but we've also got families that are within the child protection threshold. Mm. And we've only got so many social workers. Mm. And where do social workers need to focus their time and their energy. Where do you put that focus in? So, Well, I suppose his idea is that we increase more social workers either by getting rid of certain roles, which we'll come on to later. Mm. Um, also looking at, actually, if we focus more on... I mean, this isn't particularly backed by a lot of evidence. There's lots of assumptions made. I think that in, the, in their evidence annex... I've looked through the evidence annex, which is backed onto the... Um, the whole report and there's there's something like 63 different times that they will use the word assume okay for me as a researcher i should not be using the word i assume that the number of this will increase because of this that's Mm. not evidence that's an assumption and and i read something around the kind of there's going to be so many more hundreds of thousands of children in care by 20 25 yes. was it if we don't do this now when i was thinking where's where's the evidence for that actually yeah. but okay well, it's all based on modeling okay um, and when you come to financial reports as well you shouldn't you be using words like assume you should be using words like calculation um, yes. evidence all of that kind of stuff okay so he, what he's done is he said actually by increasing funding to family help therefore there's there's going to be less child protection so therefore there's going to be more focus yes now, go on. Well, I was just going to um, say on that point, family help, really necessary. He talks about having a skilled workforce with, with practitioners with different expertise. Okay, brilliant. But actually, isn't that... All, I already think our practitioners in place, we've already got people with different expertise. The report is already not recognising that that system's in place. I know we need to have more of a focus and more funding into early help. Mm. But isn't recognising we already have that skilled workforce in place. Mm. I was also thinking, I know we've touched on this on earlier, uh, podcast is he's also not taking into consideration of where people are out in terms of poverty and austerity because actually you can do you can have as many skilled practitioners as you like but if people can't afford to eat or feed their families you're going to face a massive problem he does provide lots of links in terms of poverty throughout the report much more than i think he got pulled up quite rightly on the fact that he didn't mention poverty enough in okay. his interim report yeah. so there is more Actually, poverty has an impact on all this kind of stuff. Okay. But interestingly enough, again, the word austerity does not feature once mm. in the whole of 168 pages, or however many pages it is. It's almost like he's using family help and this high, whole idea of family help as, it's like a silver bullet, a pan- panacea? Panacea. Panacea. The way that everything's going to be sold. Now, I used to work for an integration team up in Scotland where we had these multi-agency teams and it was really, really good. Um, Going into school, we had welfare officers, education welfare officers back then. We had different uh, workers that would... Substance misuse workers. We also had uh, family support workers 
and then we would come on if there was kind of child protection concerns and that was all really good but what started happening things didn't swing around turn around like we thought they would and so actually the thresholds would get higher and higher so for them to come to the family support workers mm. actually it was meeting more and more of a threshold so actually instead of the child protection service actually we were holding a lot of those cases yes it doesn't quite shift in that easy way so that's family help one of the things in the interim report that the review was criticised for was this idea that maybe we should separate family support from child protection. He seems to have kind of come round in terms of that and saying actually we need a bit of more integrated system. So that's already really good in mm. a sense. Mm -hmm. The way that he's thought about doing that is adding expert child protection officers. I picked up on this, yeah. Onto family hubs. Mm. So having these expert people. Now you were talking last time about how a lot of um, social workers involved in child protection were newly qualified and maybe not quite yet had the skills or still learning the skills in order to become the most effective that they that children and families deserve. Well, I just think there's an expectation that once you're qualified, you go straight into child protection. I don't, you know, that's not a flaw of any of those newly qualified social workers. That's the expectation of your route, yeah. of the of your career route. And I don't disagree with the review that actually we need expert child protection, uh, people with expertise in child protection. And there are, you know, in the terms of the work we've done, there are people with expertise in child protection. And of course, you've got that management structure as well. But one of the things I noted was, yes, that's crucial. You need expertise with child protection. What it doesn't address is when you are that child protection practitioner, the welfare of an individual doing day in, day out child protection, child protection, which is huge. It can be you get the um, vicarious trauma and all of that stuff. So mm. I think in an ideal world, you'd have these experts in child protection that were experienced and been around for ages. Mm. And actually, in practice, people have a kind of lifespan of being able to do that work because it's high end traumatic work. Mm. And again, having that five year expectation of this is you're going to be your career we're going to keep you in that role mm. I think that for me personally I, I liked knowing that there might be an end date of doing that really high end I think people go into work. job not everybody I can't speak for everybody but I think people go into it going I know this is going to be really difficult I know I'm going to be working uh, this is going to have an impact on my family life or it's going to have an impact on my personal life I'm going to go into this with a set period of time and mm. I do know that there's excellent practitioners out there that do last years in that role mm. but they're not in abundance and people need to people are only human at the end of the day I'm going back to that same point we're not robots so I think it's great that we do we need people with child protection expertise working alongside the early help practitioners or the family support but what that looks like in reality I'm not sure Paul. So the five-year early career framework is a good in terms of actually it will help in terms of the newly qualified looking at different ways that they can progress but actually in five years time people might actually feel that they need to move on for the sakes of their own health and for the sakes of their own kind of family life yeah well. or career development as well because we know there's other opportunities for people i mean one of the other things that came out for me within the kind of keeping children safe was it talked about kind of parent mentors i don't think it used that term but that's kind of how i i uh, process it was around supporting parents with the court process or helping families to understand the court process when their children when they're in public care proceedings for example mm. and I think that's great mm. um, and I think that's being looked at much more in in its development and is in the early stages but actually it sounds great but a lot of work needs to go in in terms of creating parent mentors or peer support mentors for, for parents going through that child protection court process for example and I think that looking at the different ways that we share information different ways that we can train because there's also looking at different uh, disciplines police health being better trained in terms of child protection all of that kind of stuff and I think that's good as well mm. but I think we have to be really really careful that we're not separating things out again so that the the worry that we had at the very beginning in terms of things being separated out mm. that just doesn't happen come to fruition that we have a separate support service yeah and we have separate workers that do child protection stuff I don't think that's helpful I think the review tries to steer away from it it's not backed by any evidence to say that's not what's what the end result is going to be Mm. And it doesn't necessarily kind of get underpinned with, you know, uh, in terms of that relationship based practice. We've talked about the importance of relationships mm. and building trust. Mm. OK. And relationships is, is really, really good because it comes through all of this. They even talk about having a relationship protect program as underpinning every single thing that's recommended in the review. So and it's great because we do know that relationships are so important. It would be nicer 
to have some kind of evidence. So stuff from Gillian, for example, stuff from Gillian, sorry, Gillian Rouge, stuff from Harry Ferguson, looking at different evidence that supports this evidence-based practice, mm. just to give it a little bit of foundation as well, because that work is really, really useful. So Gillian Rouge, for example, she's done amazing, she's an academic at Sussex, as you know, we've, we've worked there. Yes. And she's renowned for her work in terms of the fundaments of every single work, every single piece of work that a social worker does, but also in terms of families, family relationships is about containment, how we contain each other, mm. how we relate to each other. And that should be the basis of all the work that we should be doing. Mm. Arlene Monroe, who did the review beforehand, so she did the massive review that was really, really held up in great regard. Yeah. But the recommendations haven't been followed through. So it was like the Josh McAllister review, but it was just around child protection. Yes. The, those recommendations haven't actually been followed through. They've been taken on. Not in, not in full. No. I mean, not in full. They, I mean, a lot of weight was given to the review, but in terms yeah. of, um, as you said, kind of it being followed and up. And that might have been a good starting point, is why actually that really good review that actually lots of people were behind, much mm. more than the people that were behind this review, mm. why that wasn't taken forward in so many different ways. In terms of the child protection officers as well, they will be leading in terms of case conferences. Okay, instead of the IROs, independent reviewing officers. Well, IROs are going, uh, are on their way out anyway. And the idea is that actually we should be trusting these expert child protection officers to be taking on board, to have more the responsibility in terms of looking at the child protection concerns of uh, around a family. And that is, uh, in terms of thinking about the independent reviewing officer's role, they do the kind of children in care looked after children, but they do also work in terms of the child protection conferences. They are the experts already in that, no? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to we'll come back to the okay. uh, independent reviewing officers at one point because there is a there is the idea that we should be getting rid of them, and we'll talk about the reasons for that. So let's talk about the role of of, of courts. I suppose, especially when we're talking about children at risk of harm, significant risk of harm. Yes, and I mentioned then about the peer mentoring programmes or the parent mentoring in terms of helping parents whose children are going through the care proceedings to help birth parents understand the court process. Mm. Um, it's incredibly uh, overwhelming and intimidating, I think it's fair to say, about how it's set up. And I, not I, but I think it's a collective feeling that the court process could be much more family friendly orientated to, to kind of level out some of that power imbalance. What's some of the points that have come out of the um, review then, Paul? Well, they're saying that these new expert child protection practitioners, by them having a more more uh, involved role, they will increase the quality of pre-proceedings work before it goes to court, increase the quality of court assessments, court submissions, improving family help will mean that... Sorry, you're going to say something? No, I'm just frowning, not be because of what you're saying, but yeah. I'm frowning because I th I'm thinking the public law outline has already stipulated that we do all <laughs> that pre-assessment work and that we... Uh, no, you're kind of laughing at me and my... Do you agree or disagree with what I'm saying? Having read through this whole report, a lot of these things are things that have either been said before, yes. either been set up before, or things that we are trying our hardest to do. Yes. And when we look again at why the Monroe Review wasn't implemented, why we're looking at these really good ways of working, relationship-based practice, these amazing ways of working we know that works, yes. why they're being not being implemented, don't just reinforce and tell us, actually, you should be doing this. We know that. We want to be doing it. That's really tell us why, why it's not being done. And that's really interesting because one of the key points, and I might have said this earlier on, is around the generic language that's used and the statements that are made within the review is actually that you're not going to disagree with those statements that are no. being made. That's great. But what it does do is it lacks depth and meaning um, about how it's going to be implemented and also can be really open to misinterpretation when putting it into legislation. Yeah, hugely open to uh, misinterpretation interpretation so we've got on the one hand we're worried that the government won't implement any of it and on the other hand we've got a worry that they're going to implement it too fast because the conservative government have got majority mm -hmm. so lack of effective opposition possibly mm. I'm just saying possibly in terms of the recommendations going through and also these recommendations will be going through by people that have might not have been in the job for very long in terms of ministers as well yes yeah. So we're worried about it going either not going through at all or going through too fast. Mm. And actually we need the middle ground. And actually I'm not sure government at the moment is set up to do that middle ground stuff. Yeah. Yet. Yes. 
Okay, what else has come out of the court recommendations then? So they're talking about the family network plans. Yes, and I'm into this. Yeah, I'm into it too. <laughs> In the sense of we've, you know, we've said before about our experience of working for the kinship care team. So family network plans is looking at family networks before it goes into court proceedings. So we know in terms of legislation, uh, in terms of acts and guidance, it's lit throughout. It's littered throughout in terms of kinship care, for example that we should be looking towards family networks first and foremost before we consider any other options. And don't you, and I, we can say this from our experience of working previously for Brighton and Hove yeah. uh, Children's Services, yeah. and that I really believe strongly that they've been championing this for the long time, for a long time. I can't speak nationally because I don't have experience in working in other areas, but surely the family group conference process where we ask families to identify other members in their network should they be needed or draw on support, if that's already in place now. So again, I feel a little bit like this sort of review is saying this is what we need to do and it's a little bit like yeah we're, yeah, we're doing that. The trouble is that there are disparities in yeah. terms of different ways and different amounts of kinship care placements and the amounts of support and yes. the amounts of the ways that we maybe it's not about reiterating what is what we should be doing or what we are doing maybe it's looking at the reasons why the ideas that's well evidenced in research mm. well evidenced in terms of practitioner experience well evidenced in terms of children and families in terms of their views why that's not being implemented rather than just reiterating and saying that's what come should on happen guys, come yeah. on guys like, we know yeah we yeah we can't we're not disagreeing with you yeah, yeah. the other really pertinent point that i thought's come out of this review is um and this is something that's come up in practice time and time again for me is that the review is recommending that family members when we think about people in family networks when children are in care proceedings the review is suggest is is recommending that family members for example grandparents who the local authority may be recommending take on the care of, of the of their grandchild mm. is um has access to legal aid and what that means is that then they can have their own legal representation Good. we know that they haven't had that no. parents um you know can access legal aid just oh just <laughs> absolutely but for grandparents who are then being asked to take on the care of their grandchild sometimes they don't although we try and share as much information with them as as possible mm. unless they're party to the care proceedings they don't get all of the information they might not know everything that's happened yet they're being asked to take on the care of this child yeah. so the so this recommendation that they become equal party to proceedings yeah. i think it's great no, you know the financial implications about this are going to be are, are huge, yeah. and so whether or not the government take that forward, I don't know. But I'm really behind this, a hundred percent. I mean, they shouldn't have stopped legal aid. I think it was absolutely atrocious what they did in terms of legal aid and in yeah. terms of thresholds, in terms of you getting legal aid and you know people having to go and represent themselves at court and all of that kind of stuff. It's well, horrific. and it's common practice. It still happens, doesn't it? Yeah. And um, and so thinking about kind of the whole court process or how it's facilitated for families. Yeah. It's not family centred, you no, know. No. Um, families, families, families. The importance of families, and not and as my research shows, families is a wide, you've just, wide thing. I'm going to interrupt you there. Yeah, you've just mentioned your research, and yeah. I know in earlier podcasts you have spoken about it but you just want to very briefly say what that is for any new listeners that we've got this time sure so my research is all about uh, what matters to children living in kinship care there are two bits to it first of all kinship care how we shape kinship care in terms of policy and practice it needs moving on a little bit in terms of how we think about it the other part of it is looking at children's voices the importance of having children's views central to our practice and in terms of our research in terms of policy all of that kind of stuff and i'm really glad in terms of the independent review that it talks about that it doesn't talk about that with detail or with nuances or all of that no, kind of stuff in, in what you're in what you're in the you're... way that i would like yeah. it but that's okay it's a starting point mm -hmm. and and hopefully, well, my, my ultimate aim in terms of my research is that we really, really do recognise the values of children's views and how it can really shape policy and practice. Mm. So that's that's my passion, I guess. Have, so. you sent, have you sent your research to Josh McAllister? Oh, gosh. Well, I did. Um, and, uh, and I got something back. And then I spoke to him. And then they spoke back to me and said, would you come and do a presentation? And I said, yeah, 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 of course. I mean... I think they knew, because I was working with Basra at the time, yes. that I was critical of it. Not necessarily against it, but I had and a, critic, a critical, critical eye on it. Okay, yeah, that's okay. And I said, yes, of course, I'd be delighted to, absolutely. I'm all about getting my research out there. And I didn't hear back from them. Oh no, did you reply too quickly or you were a bit <laughs> keen? <laughs> a bit keen, maybe. <laughs> 
But I think that's the experience of a lot of people as well. So a lot of people, if they are not seen to be fully supporting the review, then they get a little bit dingied or whatever. Okay, that's that yes. word again. They get kind of pushed to the side. Yes. And there's lots of reports that I've seen on Twitter, for example. We only people... want you if you're going to come and confirm our viewpoint. Yeah. And okay. That's, that's that's not great, is it, for a review? What's the next section we're going on to? So we've talked... Kids we... Repair. Yay! Yeah. So let's talk about making use of family networks. Family this... network plans. This comes up in the review, importantly and rightly so. Yeah. As I've kind of mentioned, you know, kinship care, we're hugely passionate about that and I'm really pleased that it's been given uh, kind of attention yeah. in this review. And uh, that family, you know, the recommendations are that families are going to kind of have the right to kind of decision-making processes around... Well, that's one of the review's things. It says families should have the right to decision-making processes mm -hmm. in the lead-up to court. And mm -hmm. I said, actually, I really thought that local authorities were doing that. You were saying, actually, maybe not nationally, maybe not strong enough as much as they should. Yeah. It's hugely important. What we also know is there are some challenges because actually not all parents tell their family members what's really going on for them for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And, and so therefore there's always a bit of a challenge around identifying suitable family members for children. Yeah. But the importance, it should be given a lot of weight. So I'm really behind that recommendation. I'm really behind it. Again, I always think a little bit in terms of the... F I'm not saying that you're one step behind me, but I'm always one step ahead of you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just thinking one step ahead. No, that's great. Go on. <laughs> Let's hear this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming out now. <laughs> I let you think you're one step ahead of me. My worry is that if we start looking at relying on the social capital, the economic capital, do you understand what I mean by social capital, economic, economic capital? Well, I think you should explain it for anyone that's kind of going, actually, what do you mean by that term when you're saying that? Yeah. So it's, a, it's, just, it's stuff that's come out of a kind of um, Baudier's. Okay, no one knows what that is either. <laughs> there are different types of capital. There are... Well, there's a, the, they, it came onto lots of different types, but the main ones that started off was around social capital, cultural capital, economic capital. Mm. So we're looking at cultural capital. In terms of keeping children within their families, it means actually they are more likely to uh, remain within their cultures. Yeah, and that increases people's sense of belonging, your own self-development, your own well-being. Yeah. yeah. Economic capital, we know that more families are getting impoverished, especially after austerity. Again, I don't run from that. Especially after austerity. And we know in terms of the cost of living crisis. Sorry, I used that word. <laughs> I know. That kind of fluffy word that everyone then just thinks it's really catchy when actually yeah. it's political yes. decision-making and agendas that have allowed Correct. Correct. society Correct. to be not being able to afford to eat and heat their home when yes. they need to. Yeah. So, so, so we're relying on social capital within families and within communities, which we know will be decreasing. In terms of social capital, mm. that's things like you having a group of people, not being isolated, having people you can turn to in terms of support, for example. So, yeah, he healthy relationships, though, I think is also really key to that. So social capital doesn't mean knowing lots of people. It's around being around safe people that are going to scaffold you in reaching your goals or aims or keeping children safe, for example. So we think about the families that we are keeping these, these children within. Now, that's not to say that there isn't any social capital within these families. We know that there are, and hopefully our assessments, as brilliant as they are, as in terms of potential kinship carers, will always highlight, actually, it's as long as we increase in terms of their isolation, as long as there's peer support and all of that kind of stuff, we can increase social capital. But as economic pressures happen, and the more likely people for people to be isolated, the more they don't want others to find out about what might be happening within their family. Yeah. So it's an over-reliance on social capital and economic capital when actually we know that those things might not be there in the future. Okay. So that's the one step ahead thing. I didn't mean to patron patronise you. <laughs> anyway. I think it's patronise more. <laughs> yeah, patronise. Okay, right. so what's the next section now? Where are we at to? Can I just say, in terms of kinship care, I'm helping to compile a book around um, the different policy and reviews and things like that. Brilliant. So I've done a chapter in terms of kinship care um, and it will look at the different assumptions that this is based on. So it looks at those that assumptions such as 
the one of the big assumptions from the review is that by increasing kinship care, we're going to more likely to keep lots significant amounts of children out of out of local authority care, out of local authority corporate care. parenting. And we don't know that for that's not in the evidence. That's that's an assumption. Can we just say before we move away from kinship care, I think it's absolutely brilliant that kinship carers are getting the recognition, the support financial practical that they need in order to support these children well they're not getting it yet Paul (laughs) but there are recommendations that are giving the the priority or you know the resources that need to be driven to kinship carers and the importance of that something that we've been championing for a long time and we know that Brighton and Hove that who we've worked for in the past are really kind of championing that and have done and I know we spoke about it and I can whittle on and I am whittling on and someone just needs to stop me well I I can stop you So last week, um, the, uh, in the 10-minute bill, it was talked about in terms of adoption leave and in, in the same for, for adoption, uh, so kinship care and leave yes. in the same ways. There was also that bill. But these things move really, really slowly because that's going to be readdressed again next year. Oh, I didn't even realise that. Next year. So I saw the recommendation that yeah. kinship carers should be given special guardianship order leave, which is where they take on the care of a child and have yeah. parental responsibility for that child. And I thought, brilliant, this is moving into kind of the adoption leave or a mater- you know, akin to what, mat- similar to what maternity leave is yeah. or paternity leave. Brilliant, so that the opportunity for family members to just spend time with that child, not having to go to work, not juggling, you know, as we know, lots of kinship carers are experiencing poverty um, as well. I thought it was brilliant, but I hadn't realised, okay, yeah. it's there, but actually we'll, do, we'll come back to it next year. Yeah. It's, it, for and families that's, right that's now, revis- it's not helpful. It's not helpful. But we're getting there. Getting somewhere. Getting somewhere. The next part is transforming care. Oh, I got adoption before transforming care. Oh, so you do. Do you know why I missed out Because adoption? it's like one paragraph. <laughs> it's exactly what This I... whole exit, you know, what we know, children leaving local authority care, one of their care pathways is adoption, a whole massive t- subject, and it's been given very little attention. And the only bit of attention, the main bit of attention is about, actually, we should reframe the word contact. Or Around contact. birth family members and which, children. Which is fine, but actually... Adoption is a massive topic. It's huge. It's the most draconian decision that a court can make yeah. around a child being removed from their birth family. Yeah. So we've got a whole... Record. And it's sometimes unnecessary. By the way, is that's not saying that it shouldn't be made. Sometimes it's absolutely necessary for a child. Yes, and agreed. But we also know it's hugely draconian yeah. and that this review has given a lot of focus on family units and yeah. the focus on that great but actually when that doesn't work and that's not possible then the the massive kind of decision making that a court has is around the 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 powers to to kind of legally separate that child from their family and yet this review has considered adoption in a really short small Mm. focus and I was I was curious about that I think adoption is very very tricky there's been debates around adoption about separate types of care so removing from one bad family and putting to a good family is the old adoption you know ideal that's what we should be doing as we increase our awareness we understand in terms of well actually is that social engineering for example because normally what we're doing is we're taking from a bad family who happened to be working class mm. you know in a, from a council state and giving to a good family who just happened to be a family that are middle class and it's a really house. kind of white european centro approach yeah. i would say and but we are getting better at it Adoption is getting better, and there's the, there is the idea that now children can hold multiple families in mind, is what we call it, yeah. in kind of research. So actually, it's not just a, play, a separating and segregating and saying, oh, actually, forget about your last family, because children don't do that. They are thinking about different families and able to think. Of, that's the point. They're able to and yes. active and able, being able to think about multiple families, yeah. and that's being more recognised. But I think all of that stuff gets really, really tricky for reviews to talk about, especially when between successive governments, there's different ideals about adoption, saying it's the best, we need more adoptions, we need more adoptees, and then other people going, oh no, we don't, you know, it's always been seen as the gold standard, it's the best way for children to have a fresh new start. Yeah, so basically the country's, and you know, like lots of things, we're being really led about who's kind of in charge, whatever their personal agendas are or personal lived experiences are, Mm. and and therefore we kind of go with whatever that flavour is, Mm. um, and it has massive implications for children and families. Why do you think the chapter's so short, Paul? We know it's a huge topic, we've just kind of skimmed the surface on that ourselves. Why do you think the chapter is so short? Because it's a highly politicised topic. 
as okay. well. And I think that's been the problem that actually lots of people don't want to go about it because you're either seen as the good guy, the bad guy or the meddler or whoever it might be. And also, let's, you know, this re- this review has covered, it's a huge topic yeah. and adoption itself is another huge topic. Yeah. So it almost couldn't do it justice by trying to kind of give it the detail that it requires. Yeah. Okay, so what's the next subject? Transforming care. So looking at the outcomes and improving the outcomes for children and young people in care. So what they have is five missions for those that care experience. And these, again, is kind of nice language, talking about homelessness, talking about opportunities in terms of work, in terms of education, all of this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and we touched on it before, having two people that you have have enduring relationships with when you leave care. Well, it says two people that love you or something, doesn't yeah. it, in the room? And yeah, we loving kind of, relationships. Okay. And we've talked about what our interpretation of that might be, but it's, yeah, two important people that, at the end of the day, are going to stick by you, give you unconditional support, may that be love or scaffolding you or helping you. So that when young, when young people leave the care system or no longer the local authority has parental responsibility for them, mm-hmm. who who is there? We also know that they do, generally, young people also want to be there with their birth families as well it talks about independent visitors which we know are great uh kind of service and intervention for young people Mm. uh, in terms of building those relationships and and maintaining touch but we also know it's hugely underfunded you know under-resourced you know lots of long waiting lists for young people in care to have an independent visitor um but i'm great i'm pleased that the reviews noted it and 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 said it but okay how are we going to make that happen the way they'll do that is by streamlining. So they're, trying, they're going to try and get rid of IROs. Now, they've been trying to do that for some time. And this is just another way, another review that's suggesting that we should get rid of IROs. And also Regulation 44 visitors. Regulation 44 visitors. Is that the uh, independent visitors that we just referred to? They're not quite independent visitors, but they go in and they make sure that children's... Uh, the welfare of children in different uh, care settings mm. are being adhered to. Okay. So the idea is actually there's lots of different people that all have different ways of checking that child welfare is being adhered to. And what they want is they want to streamline that. And one of the ways is to get rid of IROs. So what they're saying is, if you'd like to read this out. Uh, as local authority employees, IROs lack the independence to challenge poor social work practice, whilst also not having enough meaningful contact with children to champion their wishes and interests effectively. So we spoke about this a little bit before in the last podcast. So in terms of your experience of IROs, mm-hmm. have you felt challenged by them? Do you? Well, I would say actually it's, it's kind of personality dependent and work approach dependent. <laughs> yes. So in other words, it's really varied. And we have touched on this before, um, where I sat in meetings and I felt like that they have, social workers have gone away having a great big long list of things to do, where it's felt like the IROs have been independent and said, this is what you need to do. I want you to keep on top of it. However, that, that dynamic of them also being part of the local authority and recognising the pressures that social workers are under may well somewhat remove their independence, I guess. Yes. So it is it's, it's kind of a good point. And we've spoken before as well as about the this being an independent review and us worrying about whether it is an independent review. Yeah. Or not. I'm using my fingers to air quotes great on podcasts isn't it (laughs) imagine me air quoting independent independent review and whether it is independent or not so what they've suggested is actually they'll have an opt-out child advocate service now that's a great idea so for too long in terms of children's voices again in terms of my research we try to get children's voices we're not particularly good at it we're just not and that's okay there's different ways of doing it, and hopefully different research will find better ways of doing it. So the opt-out is rather than relying on social workers to tell children, this is a service, you can you can join it if you want, which lots of social workers don't do because they're overworked. It is a duty now to say, this is a service you're getting, and you can, but you can opt out of it. Right. Social workers will now take charge in terms of the care plan. 
so we trust social workers more we don't have that oversight and we have the advocates that will be there um, instead of the IROs and the regulation 44. So but that sounds like that if children choose to opt out because yeah. that's another adult in their life that they don't know or haven't had a relationship with yeah. then those regulation 44 visitors aren't going to be present at the, at the reviews and yeah. therefore that the child's independent Nor voice gets lost. Yeah okay. and it's a bit of a worry about it hasn't just it, it doesn't feel thought through yet okay or how it's going to work we we don't yes, know we don't know and i know that lots of iros uh, really value their position and they work really really hard and i absolutely and you know i've come across um iros that i don't particularly haven't particularly um got on with let's say because of personalities but also because in a professional sense you mean you've yes. had different professional yeah approaches. because they, they, they hold you to account and yeah. that's really really tough yeah. But that's what's needed sometimes. Yeah. So the idea of the IROs now is that they are going to come back into practice. So the idea has been there's too many watchers around, there's too many managers. It says there's something like, I can't remember, but around a third of child social workers are not doing direct work with families. So they're trying to get those people back into it. So IROs are going to retrain, become experts in this or that or whatever it might be, and be these experts, these expert social workers. So that's the idea. Do you think that's going to work, Paul? I don't know. I guess the the answer to that is I don't know. It's uncertain. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. uncertain. There is no certainty around it. Yes. Okay. And looking at evidence, and this is what I come back to again and again, and I know that I'm a stickler for evidence, but we should be. When we look at different methods, different ideas, and we look at the, I look at the evidence annexes, annexes, which are really, really boring for lots of people, but I find fascinating. Most of the evidence isn't peer-reviewed, or it's uh, grade literature, so it's not in journals. So it's not reviewed by other people, other researchers, to say, actually, that doesn't quite match up. You shouldn't make assumptions. You shouldn't always assume. Yeah. Actually, if we're going to implement these things we need to make sure that it's going to work because we shouldn't be doing things on a wing and a prayer children deserve more than us going well we hope it's going to work that's not okay yeah. goodwill is not enough it's not no and and that kind of brings us on then the idea that we've got the, the what's kind of recommended in the review is the regionalised uh, regionalised uh, care cooperatives. <laughs> I'm glad you're tripping over the words because um, I um, I've been looking into this and um, I trip over the meaning of it and what it. So I've highlighted a bit. So hopefully this will become clearer for you. So the the way that regional care cooperatives has been brought up is because we all agree that there's too much profit making companies have billions of pounds have gone to offshore accounts some of them not all of them have you got evidence for that paul <laughs> no but i'm being serious yeah, no there is evidence oh, okay. for that yes yeah. so if you look at martin barrow for example if you look at um some... oh no i don't know who that is okay so look on twitter look him up on twitter um he does lots of stuff around actually profit making within children's services yes these right. massive companies we're not talking about these small independent fostering agencies all of that kind of stuff which can be really really good really good in terms of local community absolutely we're talking about these massive corporations that come in and see actually there's a market there that we can tap into and we can make profit out of yeah and now everyone agrees that that's bad well in, and in the review it talks about how th those profit making companies should be paying back some of the money yeah, yeah. into the front loading of early help is it or or recruiting of more foster carers yes, or... and regional care co co cooperatives and this new way of working and that's all really really good i'm not sure that slap on the wrist is actually going to stop future profit making so the idea is these regional care cooperatives so i'm going to get you to read it out so Let's see if you can understand what it means. Okay. So rather than have different tenders, on-spot purchases, all of that kind of stuff for actually specific children, local authorities are going to come together. Okay, so it says here, central government should fund the initial setup of costs of the regional care cooperatives and, once formed, local authorities will need to spend their existing care budgets through their RCC. Regional care cooperatives. When the cooperative finds a suitable home for a child, it will charge the local authority for the cost of that home, as it happens in the moment for the non-local government-run care. This should prove relatively straightforward to arrange with the RCC. Regional care cooperatives. <laughs> and the added benefit 
for local authorities is that they will be able to take on the financial risk over how to invest in future homes in a way that is extremely difficult for local authorities to do alone. Okay, so do you understand that? No, not really. I feel a bit And it might just be because uh, we've been talking a lot and thinking a lot, but I already feel a bit challenged by the idea of a regional care cooperative because to me that already sounds like it, we're replicating a big corporation, but we're now calling it a cooperative. So the idea is that um, local authorities on their own do not have enough buying power. So actually we need to bring local authorities together and they will have a stronger position in order to uh, vet different um, care opportunities, placements, we're going to use that horrible word, for children. Now Cathy Evans from uh, Children England, I listened to her speak and I kind of fell in love with her. If Cathy, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I won't come up to you um, after I've done a run, don't <laughs> Or mention that your birthdays are the same or anything weird like that. Yeah. She's amazing, 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 um, intelligent woman and she has talked about actually this is not going to help okay. in terms of the care market. It won't help in any sense whatsoever. I'd really recommend people go to the Children England website yeah. to look at a detailed viewpoint in terms of that and she's much more eloquent about it and much more informed about it than I am or I'm guessing you are. The next bit is around foster carers. And so part of the review was saying we're going to recruit 9,000 new foster carers over a kind of three-year period. Yeah. This is, We need a national approach to this. Yeah. And I think that's kind of good in a sense what they're saying is actually lots of people come forward but don't go through the recruitment process and we know some of the reasons why that is because people come in with good intentions mm. but actually they may not be in the right place in their own life or they might have their own challenges or their own hurdles mm -hmm. or their motivations not might not be correct at that time yeah. that people come forward with a willingness yeah. which is brilliant but you need more than a willingness to actually have the skills yeah. and the motivation and the commitment to become a foster carer which is a hugely demanding role yeah. and by this kind of we're going to recruit 9,000 foster carers doesn't address the massive impact of what being a foster carer is means for individual families. Again it's based on assumptions isn't it? Okay. And that's the, that's the difficulty. And one of the best assumptions that I really really like and um, we mentioned this before in the previous podcast. I'll just get you to read this without. Identifying these important known adults who sit just outside the family network should be done as part of the new right to a family group decision-making process so that they are proactively identified, helped and encouraged to step forward. To take just one group as an example, if only 1% of teachers step forward to foster a specific child, there would be 4,610 new homes available for children in care with someone who already cared about them and who could offer them stability in their education, friendship groups and community. Oh, hang on a minute. I, all, I just want to say... Teachers... Teachers... So hugely overwhelmed. They've got such a huge responsibility on themselves. What I personally know teachers yeah. and th their private life is... N their own private life is n non-existent in so many ways because they, they dedicate their life to the teaching and all the demands that are on them mm. in terms of the day-to-day -day job as well as the after-hours planning, um, etc. Yeah. I'm not going to do it justice in this, in this sentence. <laughs> yeah. And yet now we're asking them to take on and foster children. And therefore, you're also really minimising the role that foster carers play by going, actually, those teachers, they can do it in their spare time. Yeah. I think it's like pie in the sky. It's a role dial Matilda concept. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Correct. Absolutely. But having said that, it's good that you know lots of teachers. And we do have summer holidays coming up. So hopefully... <laughs> So if there are any teachers yeah. listening, if you're on your holidays and having a relaxing time, I'll guarantee you they won't be. <laughs> guarantee you they'll be working. But yeah. So anyway, so that's the type of evidence that we have. Those are the types of assumptions that we have to underpin a lot of this new inflammation, this new reset, this new radical revolution. Mm. Grandstanding. <laughs> Grandstanding, yeah. Um, in terms of the independent reviewing officers and not being independent, which was yes. the concern of them, yes. of the review, the way that these advocates are going to be um, monitored um, is by... I feel like there's a drum roll. The Children's Commissioner. Okay. So they're going to therefore be... It doesn't quite match up, does it? You have, they're saying that they're not independent, so we're going to replace someone that's going to be... The whole idea of independence, it just doesn't work. 
quite yet. And and actually, should it though? Because the idea of being someone entirely independent means that they don't know the systems that people are working in. They don't necessarily know the structures that family are trying to navigate their way through. You're having a go at the review, right? (laughs) Oh no, I'm not. I'm just uh, brain spilling my thought showers. (laughs) Great. Never said that term before in my life. And hopefully never again. (laughs) We're coming up to the we're coming up to the end of the the stuff that interests us. Um, we could go on to social work leadership and different implementation boards. We'll talk about a little bit at the end, but I really want to get in just these really these new opportunities for those that are care experience. So protected characteristics. I'd really like to talk about that because that kind of excites me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm kind of a, thinking a little bit a step ahead. Mm-hmm. But the bit that excites me is we know that discrimination happens and it should be in terms of someone being care experienced. Yes, and, and care leavers. And care leavers, yes. exactly. Um, in terms of education, there's not enough people at university that are mm-hmm. care experienced, not enough social workers that are care experienced. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of education, in terms of opportunities, in terms of jobs, in terms of... Well, the ability to have somewhere to live when they leave care as well. You know, yeah. those real fundamental... If we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. the basic is, have people got somewhere to live and eat yeah. brilliant let's now you know let's get that right and that but also of course hold the aspirations for care leavers how yes. can we support them to absolutely excel and kind of reach their full potential yeah so it'll be a, a protected characteristic under the equality act uh, 2010 um under other protected characteristics and that's all very very good and that is a way to reduce stigmatization so the idea is that people will have less stigma because they're a protected characteristic. But by being a protected characteristic, that might, unfortunately, and the review talks about this, that might increase having stigma attached to it because they become a thing. But that's already, I think that's already the case, no? Yeah, true, yeah. As I say, I I quite like it. The, The bits that I worry about is actually who's going to be a care experience protective characteristic when we're using the term protected characteristic we kind of know what we mean but actually what does it mean and so it means people from different ethnic or minoritized uh, ethnicities people that might identify within the lgbtq plus communities yeah. it might be people in terms of disability so kinship care for example will they be a care experience someone that's been in care say for so children with disabilities they've been in respite care for a certain period of time each year whatever are they going to be part of the care experience protected characteristic okay so that's what i worry about when you start drawing it out a little bit Mm -hmm. he's going to be part of it Mm -hmm. so when we come to things like actually there should be um society should look after people that are care experienced better so rather than thinking about corporate parenting, which local authorities, corporate parenting in terms of housing, they're branching it out into community parenting. Okay, That's yes, the and they're saying it shouldn't just be local authority. It shouldn't just be that, yes. the, the children's services. It should be actually, it should be around the educational systems. Police. It should be the police. Yeah. It should be, actually, we need to come to, together collectively as a community to support care experienced yes. people. And again, it's um, a brilliant recommendation yeah. statement one that we none of us would disagree with what does that really look like in reality for people that have been care experience yeah. will have experienced trauma may well have their own strategies that society goes oh actually I, i'm not quite sure you don't sorry you haven't turned up on, on time for work mm-hmm. you know how do people manage that and are you diluting accountability as well so in terms when, of when you say diluting accountability, accountability to who? To the local, the corporate, the co- and I, now I'm doing the in, inverted commas, <laughs> but the corporate parent. No, I, I think yeah. these children, these families, or these adults, actually, as they will be adults. Because at least with corporate parenting, and I'm not, I'm not for corporate parenting, I think it's a horrible phrase, but at least with corporate parenting, you can kind of say, right, these people are accountable. Whereas if we're opening up to the community and community parenting... Mm. Where do we know who has accountability? Where and then it will become it? part of that kind of finger pointing. When there's failings, it will be, hey, it wasn't yeah. on us, because yeah, yeah. that, etc, etc. And then it just kind of, people end up then working in silos. Don't and they? what I don't want from this review is I don't want the diluting of what social work is. Yeah. And I don't want it, going back to social capital, going back to economic capital, all of this kind of stuff, I don't want it to just be placed on impoverished communities again and impoverished families again. I don't want that to happen. I want people to be accountable. I want social work to still be central in terms of social work processes, in terms of the roles that we do, in terms of the the skills that we have. Yes. 
And that's something that's been talked about in the review, isn't it, around upskilling uh, the workforce, ensuring that people have got, got access to more training. And, and I'm all for, we're both all for training, of yeah. course, who wouldn't be? Yeah. But it is also suggesting that the training isn't available already or uh, and not actually looking at why are, what are the reasons that people aren't accessing training. And we know what those challenges are, which yeah. is the real life ground day to day work. That if you're dealing with child protection concerns, you haven't got to, you, social workers have to cancel attending that training because they've got a, a child protection crisis they need to intervene yes, with. Yes. So it doesn't address the real fundamental face to face stuff. And I'm not saying it should because we know it's problematic. But So that's a beautiful segue, well done, Sarah. Thank you very much. Into workforce. Right. Well, you can't come up with all of these uh, great recommendations about what needs to happen with children without thinking about the workforce that are going to enable this to happen. So one way to do it is to um, to retrain um, the watchers back into the workforce. The other way, which is another controversial thing, like this, I don't know if you know about it. The review proposes that actually, if you are registered with Social Work, Social Work England as a social worker, you need to do 100 hours. And that is for social work leaders. Mm-hmm. For academics, researchers, if you hold that title, you need to do those 100 hours. And when you say, sorry to interrupt, when you yeah. say those 100 hours, is there that direct work, direct practice with children and families? Absolutely. Right. So, do you want to read this bit? Practice in this context would mean client-facing work that needs the, the knowledge and skills of a social worker. For example, spending two weeks working in a duty team, facilitating family group decision-making undertaking fostering assessments or working to support victims of exploitation. Spending time shadowing, quality assuring or case auditing would not count. Social Work England should carefully consider the application of this to ensure that it does not result in children and families working with a revolving door of professionals and having to repeat their experiences to more people than necessary. So it completely just contradicts itself. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to do that without doing that? And that's what I thought, because as I was reading that, I was thinking, hang on, we've, we've really talked about it. it's been underpinned around a consistent professional... Yeah. Uh, rela- we've talked about the importance of relationship practice, practice, and now it's saying, actually, that lecturer, can we bring him in because he needs to go and work on duty for a couple of <laughs> so that's an example of how somebody might but that doesn't reach 100 hours so it is more than two weeks in a duty team i'm guessing so and the logistics of that what we also know is there's computer systems to work around that when you go and work (laughs) with families you need to know a bit of background about that family and if you're coming in from the university well do you think working uh finding figuring out the computer systems will count towards your 100 hours no probably not it just says it won't no but that takes 200 hours do you know how overworked staff are at universities i can tell you how overworked they are okay well i don't know and i don't i mean frontline i mean i'm sure they are and i'm not dismissing that but Frontline workers were all, may not be sympathetic to that necessarily because we know that, that frontline workers... But also, workers, those workers, a lot of them are also doing some practice. A lot of the research is about practice. Maybe that counts. It, it doesn't. You have to go and you have to not shadow someone. Go and do pick up a piece of work with a family for 100 hours. To It's just... And then it becomes tick boxy and not meaningful. Look, as I progress into my career, I'm all for going back into practice. I really, really enjoy practice. I really, really want to find ways to do this. It really, really helped me in terms of... And so what happens to the families then? So somebody who they've not met before comes in because they've got 100 hours practice to do on top of what their other day job is. And actually then the families are left going, yeah. hang on, what's going on? And and the rev- it says in that paragraph, we need to avoid that revolving door. But it doesn't quite address how we're going to do it. <laughs> Highly problematic, isn't it? Just I... not thought through quite properly. And it, again, this is a recommendation by a social work leader that hasn't put in those hundred hours themselves themselves. Paul we've we've covered a lot of ground and we said we were going to cover a lot of ground in this podcast today what what bits are we are going to be left for us to to touch to to kind of think about before we say goodbye today this has been a, a, a splurge of information hasn't it and I suppose... No, I disagree. It's not a splurge. Is it not? What would you call it? Splattering. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same word. <laughs> We've talked about some really important topics. Some topics have. that we're both really passionate about. Yeah, yeah. And we know we could talk a hundred hours. Yeah. We could do our hundred hours. Would that count? <laughs> But um, I'm also mindful of the time yeah. and we need to, 
what what are the kind of key points that we want to 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 not miss for the rest of this episode? It's really important that we recognise that the independent review we will come back to. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the splurge that we have <laughs> done this way, but whenever we're talking about specific topics, we will come back to it and see how it relates to the review. I think we have to. We, we, there's a lot of recommendations that have been made. So going forward, yeah. we can't sit and have conversations without referring back to this review. Absolutely. So, so for me to kind of sum up, when I've been thinking about this, my first reaction to the review was just a little bit of... Just a bit to, it wasn't it wasn't as bold as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing because I would, I was worried about if it was going to be bold based on really really poor evidence and that's the other part that worries me about this. Mm. Is there's lots of assumptions. And what we said in the first episode was it's being conducted by somebody who hasn't got direct social work practice or or kind of experience of academia in social work and therefore Josh McAllister has come in and made some really inter- good points, but mm-hmm. they're all the good points that we've all been saying for quite some. Not all of them, but it's not new. And so one of the strategies is to set up these different groups. So National Practice Group, a National Reform Board, an Implementation Board. And now what I think will be really interesting is to see whether that's a transparent process. Because the review hasn't been particularly transparent. It says it has been. Mm. Hasn't been particularly transparent. And who are getting those jobs. So if it's the same old faces. Because this review also says at some points. Actually we've been relying on the same types of thoughts. We need new types of thoughts. So make sure then that there are new people in these implementation boards. Then. But also saying we need people with expertise to deliver. Yeah. So you can't have people with expertise that are also brand new as well. But I think there's lots of expertise out there. Yeah. And we need to make sure that we don't just have the same old faces. And that's okay, what I'm gotcha. worried about in terms of the implementation board or all these people. It will be the people that connect to the review. Yes. That are on these boards, national practice groups, national reform boards, implementation boards, all of this kind of stuff. So there needs to be a kind of like a real kind of uh, invitation for participation yeah. to really widen this out then. So it isn't just those people, as you said, that are already yeah. in that role. It's around an invitation for people to participate in this yeah. process. And can I just be really cynical here? It's not, I know it's not like me. But I also think we need to follow the money a little bit and see who's getting contracts because it talks a lot about actually we need to train up staff, we need to train up social work leaders. Now if Frontline, who Josh McAllister kind of um, championed for a while and headed and was uh, for, for a long time, if they're the ones that are getting these massive contracts, I think we just have to be a little bit suspicious, cautious, worried, I don't know. I think if if they Angry. are, I think if they're the ones that are getting the contract, I think uh, we need to keep a critical eye. Yes, and that's the key to social work, isn't it? Being critical, being reflexive, critically reflective in terms of where you're at with it. Mm-hmm. Where where are the um, well coming in from kind of the very st- the very first podcast and and kind of where we are today. I have, and I hope that listeners have as well, had the opportunity to kind of really get to grips with some of the real key points and key themes that have come out of this review. And I'm going to go away being really interested in what happens next. I kind of really watch this space. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what we need to do. Yeah, that's good. I mean, this has been a great opportunity because it's been a massive report. We've yeah. had the opportunity to break it down in yeah. three separate episodes to yeah. go, let's really dissect this and think about it. Now, of course, we know that we could continue to keep dissecting it, but we wanted to keep it succinct and digestible. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that we hope it's been helpful to the listeners yeah. to be able to listen and, and hear some of the points that we've raised or that we think is, in, is important. In Thank terms you so of... much for listening, guys, as well, just to say that. I, I, I really, really mean that. So just really, really nice that I get comments and emails and things like that um, from people saying, oh, when's the next one and all of that kind of stuff. It makes it makes me feel that, um, that it's worth doing. And I really like that. So it's not just me and Sarah just talking about it on our own. It's nice that people actually want to listen to our stuff as well. <laughs> So thank you. It's very much appreciated. Right, is there uh, any final comments? Or are we just going to say goodbye? Is that it? I'm looking forward to getting together with you again and continuing to unpick some really important key social work topics. Yeah, me too. That'd brilliant. Be great. Okay. Bye. Thank See you. you later. Bye-bye. Bye.